All right. Yes. It's going to be a lot of fun. So that Saturday night, the Saturday before Easter, 4 to 5.30. Uh, bring your kids. Bring the neighbor kids. Bring them all out. I, I think I heard Teacher Mindy said they stuffed like 2,000 eggs or something like that. So there's going to be enough to go around. Um, it'll be a lot of fun uh, before service. And again, we have Saturday night Easter service starting at 6 and then our regular services on Sunday at April, or on April 9th, 9th, and 11 a.m. I think some of you guys got some of these invite cards on your seat, so give them out this week. I believe God wants to invite some people, um, and we are expecting that this place is going to be filled, packed out each and every service, Saturday night and both Sunday. We want the message, uh, the gospel message, that Christ died for our sins, rose again, conquered death, conquered the power of sin. So please get those out, invite people. A couple other announcements. How many of you attended any of the self-deliverance classes that we have offered? Any of you? What did you guys think of those? They're great. Uh, Sandy Wixon is an amazing person, a great friend of mine. Um, She taught those. She's going to teach another one coming up April 22nd. It'll be from 10 to 12. So if you enjoyed that and want more of it or you haven't been yet and you want to find out what it's about, I encourage you to come. It's just about getting free, getting delivered of the strongholds in our life that try to keep us from following God to the fullest capacity. So I encourage you, you can find out more about that at the Connection Center out front after service. Lastly, I just wanted to mention a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a mission team go to Mexico and they did a lot of manual hard labor in tearing down and building um, buildings uh, for this community there in Mexico. One thing that they were not able to get finished was a roof on this building. And they were actually uh, time and, and about $10,000 uh, short. And just want to let you know that that money came in here in the last couple of weeks. And actually, over and above, $15,000 came in. So they're not only able to do the roof, but just fix up any other little odds and ends that they weren't able to do. So God is good, amen? Our God is a God of more than enough. Not just, I'm going to barely give you what you need, but I'm a God of more than enough abundance, prosperity. And we're just so um, amazed that God has blessed in that way to be able to use us to bless that community down there. So that's awesome. All right. Well, today I get to speak. This is Palm Sunday, the the week before Easter Sunday. So I'm just going to kind of give you a little bit of history of it, but also... um, yeah, just kind of what it means. So I'm just going to read the story for you. It's actually in each and every uh, one of the, the Gospels, but we're going to read out of uh, the Gospel of Mark right now in chapter 11, just starting with verse 1. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately, as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and in another one of the Gospels, just as Jesus described. Um... 
And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing? Untying the colt. And they told them what Jesus has said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Palm Sunday actually starts the week of events leading up to Jesus' death. He rides in on a donkey and people are praising him. And it's actually called Palm Sunday, if you didn't know, due to the fact that the leafy branches that they were laying on the road and, and waving were palm branches that they cut in the fields. A couple little fun facts of how different countries celebrate Palm Sunday. In Latvia, Palm Sunday is actually called Pussy Willow Sunday because pussy willows rather than palms are used. And it's tradition that the children on Palm Sunday are woken up by rubbing a pussy willow on their cheek to wake them up. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> In Poland, they actually have competitions to see who can come up with the biggest and be most beautiful uh, palm branch. And then in Russia, for Orthodox Christians, they will actually uh, mark the occasion by hosting donkey, riding on donkey across, across the cities, being able to ride on donkeys. Sorry, I didn't ride in on, on a donkey today. Maybe, maybe one of these Palm Sundays we can bring that about. I actually have a, a pastor friend who, when he was a children's pastor a while ago, he, he actually did ride into children's church on a Palm Sunday. And... He said that the kids would go home and the parents would ask, well, what did you guys learn about Palm Sunday today? I don't know. Pastor rode in on a donkey. Like, <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> so those are just some fun things about uh, Palm Sunday. But um, I wanted to also just highlight here, we're going to go over some scripture, just kind of background of this day and, and Jesus the Messiah in, in general. And you have on your notes... Um, but there were many prophecies about the coming Messiah, about the Deliverer, the one who would save. Many, and Jesus fulfilled over 300 of them, which is astronomically almost impossible by um, chances that that could actually happen. The chances that you pick, if for, for all of you out here who do a NCAA bracket, there's never been one picked perfect. And the odds of picking that perfectly are like basically none. The odds of Jesus fulfilling the prophecies that he feel, fulfilled is like a million times that. It's like ridiculous. But anyway, we're going to read some scripture about some of the, the prophecies about the coming Messiah. And Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, who lived about 700 years before Christ, he wrote in Isaiah 51, 4 through 6, Give attention to me, my people. And give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from them, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. 
Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens vanish like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Then the prophet uh, Zephaniah, who lived about 600 years B.C. This is a long period of time before Jesus. He writes in Zephaniah 3, starting verse 14, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said in Jeru- to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let, your hands, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in at that time, at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Jesus came for the hurting, the broken, those that need healing, not for the, the healthy and the wealthy or those who thought they were. See, Jesus came for all, all of us. We're all hurting. We're all broken. But we just need to realize it. Zechariah, then in about 500 B.C., says this about this very specific day. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a fool of a donkey. And Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy as he rides in Jerusalem. He's coming riding in on a donkey. And there's many, 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 many more prophecies about the coming Messiah. And so there's this anticipation, there's this excitement, this expectation of the, of the coming Messiah to come and bring deliverance. And so it's building and it's building throughout the Old Testament and they're waiting and they're waiting. And then here comes Jesus, just as prophesied, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so the people are crying, here he, here he comes, Hosanna, which means save us or savior. Here comes our savior. He's coming to do it. This is our day of deliverance. And they're worshiping him and praising him and glorifying him. And then actually, uh, the palm branch that they're waving and laying on the ground represented goodness, well-being, and victory. Like, this is our day of deliverance. This is our day of victory. Here comes our Savior, the prophesied Messiah, just in the way that it was prophesied, riding into Jerusalem. We're finally realizing our deliverance. We're finally getting it. And what they were expecting was that Jesus would deliver them from Roman rule because they had been oppressed, suppressed by Roman, uh, the Roman government. And so they were thinking back to, well, Jesus delivered Israel out of Egypt. This is now our deliverance out of Roman rule. This is what God has kind of come do. And it's been prophesied. And here it is, finally. And we're worshiping. We're crying, Hosanna. 
There's this great expectation and anticipation for the deliverance that Jesus was going to bring. How many of you guys have been excited about anything before? Okay. I'm excited for summer. I don't know about you guys. It's like each and every day, I'm just one step closer, one step closer. Camping season's just around the corner. Like, I'm excited. Like, I like camping season. I like getting out. I like being out, able to stay up and be outdoors until like 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. Unlike winter where it's like dark at 4.30, and it's like, well, maybe we should just go to bed. Like, what else is there to do? Like... Okay, it's dark, rainy, cold. Okay, bedtime, start the next day and do it all over again. But um, I'm excited about summer and camping. We actually have a, a trip planned to Yellowstone this year. And I've never been to Yellowstone. My kids have never been to Yellowstone. So we are anticipating and excited and just so looking forward to this trip. We probably told our kids way too soon. They are very horrible at waiting, I'm sure. None of you or your kids are like this, but it's like, when are we going? Well, it's another three months. <sighs> but there's this anticipation of what's to come, of this trip that we have. When I was about 13, I think 13 or 14, my, my folks, they planned a trip for us to California. And we went down and we visited uh, a few of the, the national parks down there, like the Yosemite National Park, which was really uh, cool. And we went and visited... Um, the Sequoia National Park, and those trees are massive. If you guys have never seen those, go see them. They're, it's like um, just amazing to see how big around trees can get. But it was a lot of fun. But one of the days that was planned for this uh, California vacation that we went on was one of the days we were going to go to Disneyland. And so when my parents told me that, I'd never been, but I had lots of other friends who'd been, and they told me about it. I was like, oh, this is going to be the best day ever. Like, so I was looking forward to it. I had all these pictures in my mind of how it was going to be, what was going to take place, because, you know, all my friends had told me about it. So we're getting, getting down there, and, and it's the day before, and it's like, ah, tomorrow's the day of Disneyland. This is going to be amazing. And I remember that when we woke up the next day, the day of that we're going to the park, it was raining. I was just like, it's not supposed to rain in California. Like... It's supposed to be sunny and warm all the time. Now it wasn't raining like it, it rains here. But it, I mean, it was, it was kind of a steady, constant rain in the morning. I was like, just woke, waking up with all that anticipation, all that excitement, and then just kind of a letdown, just like, ah, what is this? It's raining on my parade. Like, it's supposed to be the perfect day. Like, I'm supposed to go to Disneyland. It's supposed to be sunny. It's supposed to be just awesome. And I remember waiting in line. We got there. Uh, a little bit early before the gates open and just all the pavement is wet and we're sitting there and luckily it wasn't cold because it's still Southern California so it's still like mid-60s but just sitting there in the rain it's like, God, like why? Like this is one day, like why couldn't you just make it sunny? But what ended up happening is uh, because of the rain, it was probably the best day that anybody could ever have at Disneyland ever. <laughs> How many of you have been to Disneyland before? How many hours have you waited in lines for a ride? And maybe sometimes you've been able to get on to maybe half a dozen rides in one day. The longest wait I had to wait that day was about five minutes to get on a ride. I read, rode so many rides, like each one four times, because it's just like, ride it, run back through the line, get on the ride, go again. And it's like, yeah, the rain, you know, 
I woke up and I was disappointed, but then it was actually better than expected. My expectation was sunny, wait in lines, get to ride a few rides, it'll be great. There was some rain. It actually cleared up to where it was just overcast and cloudy. Didn't have to wait in any lines, just got to enjoy way more than anybody else had. I actually thought um, this was, I think, the second or year, the third year that the Indiana Jones ride had opened up. And my first time riding, I literally thought I was going to die. Like, I don't know if you guys have ridden that ride, but there's that boulder that comes. I'm like, oh, this is it. I'm coming home, Jesus. Like, here I come. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm still alive. Okay, cool. And then I rode it, you know, four more times, and it was amazing. But I had this expectation of what it was going to be like. And then I got disappointed that it wasn't the way I wanted it but then it was better than I actually expected it to be because I got to do way more than I was wanting to do. So all these people, they're expecting. There's this great anticipation. And they're like, here he is. Jesus, the Messiah, he's come. Hosanna in the highest, our Savior. But then, one week after he rides into Jerusalem and they're praising his name, what happens? One week later, they're saying, crucify him. Why? Why is that? It's because he wasn't doing what they expected him to do. He wasn't bringing the salvation that they expected him to bring. See, they expected freedom from an earthly Roman rule. But, they, but he wasn't bringing that type of freedom. He wasn't bringing that type of salvation. See, he did bring freedom, but not from earthly enslavement and oppression, but an eternal freedom from spiritual oppression and enslavement to sin. And when he didn't bring the freedom that they expected, they turned on him. And in that week, it's like, nothing's happening. You're not delivering us like we expected you to. So they turned on him and they crucified him. And the way that, but Jesus did bring freedom, and the way that he brought it didn't look like victory in the world's eyes. See, victory looks like a king riding in on a horse with an army behind him and destroying somebody. But how did he bring us victory? Eternal victory, by hanging on a cross and dying. From an earthly out, outward perspective, that's not victory, that's defeat. You lost, Jesus. You died. But what he did on that cross broke the power of sin, paid for our sin. And if you don't know, what actually happened is, see, God hates sin. And the reason why he hates sin is, one, he knows it destroys our lives. And two, he has to punish sin because it's apart from him. And so he saw sin over all his people, all of his children, and he's like, ah, I've, got to, I've got to punish sin, but I don't want to do it. It's all over. It's all over my kids. But Jesus said, God, I'll do it. Give me, give me all their sin. I'll take it on me. And God, in exchange, I'll give them my righteousness. That's what Jesus did. He took upon himself all the sin that we 
ever committed will commit. And he gave us his righteousness so that when we accept that sacrifice, God sees Jesus' righteousness on us. Not all the sins that we committed. And so then when Jesus took upon himself all the sin, God punished sin by punishing Jesus. What an exchange. So by the defeat that he suffered, he gained the victory. He gained the victory over sin, and he gained the victory over death, as we celebrate next week with, um, with Easter. Isaiah 53.1 says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. And have turned away everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. See, Jesus, this act of prophecy is the one that Pastor Doug spoke about last week when Philip was led down the desert road and to speak to the openness. Who do, who do I read of? And Philip got to share with him you know, what Jesus did on the cross. Luke 19.41 says, as Jesus enters Jerusalem, and I want you guys to get this, that when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he sees the crowds worshiping him and crying, Hosanna, Savior, save us. And he weeps. Why? Because he knew that they were missing it. They were missing what he was actually doing. He wasn't coming to save them temporarily from an earthly affliction. He was coming to save them eternally from sin and to restore a relationship that was broken by sin, a relationship between us and him. So he weeps. He's like, you're missing it. You're missing the time of your visitation. They missed the salvation that he was bringing. We all have things that go th 
go on in our life that are uncomfortable, hard, things that we go through, struggle with, hurtful things. Maybe it's been a financial struggle for you lately. Maybe you're going through some health issues, mental issues, sleepless nights. And we ask God, God, just take it away. Deliver me. Be my savior. Take me out of this pain and torment. I can't take it anymore. And God does want us to bring our requests to him, make them known to him, but then trust him with the result. And oftentimes we, we ask God for deliverance. And then if we don't get it in our timing or the way that we want, we question him and ask God, do you, do you love me? Like, I thought you cared. I thought you wanted me to be free. I thought you wanted me healed and whole and financially free and delivered. And what's going on? Do you love me? Jesus does love you. He does want you free. He wants you freer than you could ever think you could possibly be. Because maybe he's not trying to deliver you from something temporal something earthly, something that's only going to last for a little bit. See, God could deliver you from a financial situation and you could find yourself in another financial situation a couple years later. But maybe he's trying to do something a little bit greater and not deliver you from that, but maybe from the fear, from the worry, from the anxiety, from the sleepless nights that have been associated with all the things that you've been going through. Maybe he wants to deliver you from that. I know this because he's done this in my life to where he's allowed me to go through things. He's led me through things and he's not taken me out of them. He's taken me through and he showed me that in the midst of the struggle, of the pain, he's still good. (laughs) He's still God. And he's with you. See, the salvation that Jesus brings is lasting and eternal. So if he doesn't come and bring the salvation that you're expecting in the way that you're expecting and in the time that you want it, maybe ask God, what are you doing? What do you want me to be free from? Maybe it's from that fear. Maybe it's to bring you to that point that regardless of what's going on in your life, you can still sleep at night because the peace of God is with you. Maybe the, the world is crumbling around you, but you can sleep and you have that peace that surpasses all understanding. The word says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which means if your world is just crumbling and from the outward appearance, you should be freaking out and you should be fearful. I have the peace of God that guards us in Christ Jesus. And people will be able to ask you, how are you so peaceful? How are you so joyful? This is going on in your life. And you'd be like, it's God. He's with me. Psalms 23, four through six says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
even though we go through the dark valleys, which he allows us to go through at times, he is still with us, so therefore we will not fear if we keep our eyes on him. God, deliver me of fear, even in my current situation. Psalms 90, 91, five through six says, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Come on, regardless of what the world throws at you, the enemy throws at you, you can be free in Christ. You can be free from fear and free from worry because you know who's on the throne. Psalms 46, one through three says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, so regardless of what comes your way, we can have freedom from fear. We can take heart because God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. I just want you guys to get this today. Don't miss what God is doing in your life right now. He's led me through some things and allowed some things in my life that have been painful, hurtful, hard, and he's allowed me to go through them. And he's been with me in them and giving me a peace now as I walk through other times where I look to him and I'm not just like, I know this is hard, God, but you're here, and I have your peace. I continue to have your joy. He wants that for you as well. He wants you to be free of fear. Fear is a spirit, and it tries to come upon us, and it tries to get us to look at these different situations. Like, this is horrible, and it's always going to be like that, and he, the devil tries to make us afraid. And when we look at the different things, whatever it is, we can get afraid. But when we put our eyes on God and trust in Him and realize the time of our visitation, realize what He's actually doing, we stand up, we stand strong, and we're full of faith and not fear. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. My prayer for you guys is this, that we would trust in, in God fully, regardless of what we're going through, regardless if we're on the mountaintop or the valley low, that we trust in Him. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Our own understanding looks at these natural situations and says, freak out. This is bad. It can't get any better. But when we trust in God's power and ability, God, regardless of where I'm at, what's going on, you are good. And you can give me peace. You can give me joy. You can give me freedom. How many would want freedom from fear? From worry? anxious thoughts, sleepless nights. I believe God wants to bring freedom from that here today. We're going to go into some worship, and I want you guys just to declare that freedom over your life and say, yes, God, free me from that. 
and forgive me from focusing on the temporal things and help me to focus on you and accept your peace and accept your joy and accept your freedom. Amen? So let's worship.